My name is Tinsley Solcox. I'm currently the Director of Libraries and the Choir Master at St. Mark's School of Texas in Dallas. But what brought me to Texas was Southern Methodist University and the Meadows School of the Arts in 1972 when I met my guest, Professor Barbara Hillmore, Distinguished Professor of Voice. Barbara, I have the honor and the privilege of talking to you today about your wonderful 45-year career at Southern Methodist University. <laughs> you didn't have to say that. <laughs> I feel I did. But well, what I really want to know is what brought you to SMU in 1974? Oh, my gosh, what brought me? No single thing, but several really wonderful things. Um, I got a call from Lloyd Fouch, who became a wonderful, dear, beloved colleague and friend, Lloyd called to say that there was a search going on and that uh, they hadn't found the ideal candidate and that I had been recommended by Bruce Foote. And Bruce was my major professor in graduate school at Illinois. And we had a very close relationship, teacher, mentor, friend, confidant. I just loved him. So when he said, Bruce suggested we call you, I thought, well, I'm happy where I am. I was teaching at Millican University in Decatur, Illinois, and very happily so, and being reviewed for tenure and things like that right in the moment. And so I really wasn't looking to go anywhere, but Lloyd asked if I would send my credentials and so I heard the Xerox to them, you remember that? And, and sent things to him, and they called and invited me. And I decided the trip was worth it just to see Bruce and Doris and get to know Lloyd Fouch, about whom I'd read so much and whose music I admired. So that's what brought me here, and I came here with the attitude that I wanted Bruce to hear me sing because I thought I was singing better and better because of him. And, uh, and then I just wanted to see what the South was all about. And when I, <laughs> when I got to Dallas, I thought, oh, I landed at DFW, which was, you know, like another city. And I thought, well, things are looking up. And it was early March and 84 degrees. I thought, oh, man, this suits my clothes. And <laughs> so from, from that moment, things went up. I had a fabulous time. I interviewed some gifted singers, Donnie Ray Albert and Gary Lakes, and just a whole host of really wonderful singers told them I thought their voices were higher than they thought they were, told Donnie I thought he was a baritone, not a bass, told Gary I thought he was a tenor, not a baritone, and as it happens, they both have made their living being just those uh, in those categories. So I, what brought me here just developed into a wonderful uh, time I didn't expect to have, really. And how marvelous that these students you mentioned are now lifelong friends. Lifelong friends and with incredible careers 
already almost behind them and influencing the lives of other people. Donnie is, as you know, maybe teaching down at the University of Texas and making an incredible impact on that program there. We're all very proud of him. He's a wonderful human being. His boys are my godsons, and so, you know, I'm close to their family. I remain so through their births, the births of both their children, and, and now we're just, you know, we're buds. We're all blessed in this profession because we, we get to see the fruits of our labor sometimes time and time again. Over and over. And isn't that a blessing? Yeah. Well, so you landed at DFW Airport. Ooh, it's uh. 84 degrees in March. <laughs> Baby, please. And you started here, I'm assuming, that next fall as a brand new faculty member in Meta School of the Arts. I did. What significant major changes, when you think about Meadow School of the Arts in fall of 1974 and Meadow School of the Arts in the fall of 2019. What comes to mind? Huh. Well, when I first came here, everybody was getting used to the new building because we had just had uh, a sort of reconfiguring of Meadows. And everybody was still getting lost on the lower level, especially. And I must say, sometimes I it's still, still a maze. It's still a maze. <laughs> yeah, I do. Going from theater into dance and back into music, I just think, oh, God, what happened to my brain? But in fact, I enjoy that wandering around downstairs. And when I think about the energy... Uh, I would say in some ways it, it, it is the very same, meaning there is a, a vibrant excitement among our students and um, there's a sense of uh, creativity and imagination in, together with our faculties. Uh, but it was a different kind of time then. You know, in the 70s, I witnessed people streaking on campus and things like that. So <laughs> we have graduated only a bit. They do other things instead of that, a little, uh, a little more dramatic maybe, but less public. Um, but anyway, a lot of things were happening. The students were creating things and imagining things that hadn't been done, but this was pre-computer. So yeah. we weren't imagining nearly the way we are now when you think of the impact of technology on, on creativity and art. It's just, it's, it's unimaginable. Technology certainly impacts our creativity, but technology cannot teach someone how to sing beautifully. Yeah. And as someone who admires and honors your teaching and have for years, what is it when you see a young Donnie Ray Albert that makes you say, I think your voice is actually here? How do you impart these things to your students? And what is it about teaching voice? What is in your mind, with all of your experience, the most challenging part of that? Well, you know, I have to say, I am a teacher who sings. That's first. I didn't go to school with the idea I would become a great singer. In fact, I never thought of myself in that way. I thought I would be a great teacher. I believed it from, my mother says, when 
I was five or six years old. I always thought that's why God made me. And um, when I came to SMU, the talent was far greater than I had anticipated. And of course, it was a time, and those things are cyclical, um, students coming. But I got my degrees in science, thinking I'm going to teach, you know, as long as I feel healthy and enjoy it. And I was passionate about it. So every move I made, um, when I came to SMU was directed toward helping my students discover their voices, their voices in life, um, their voices in art, um, their voices in our industry, and their passions, and helping them to understand how to identify it um, and classify it and um, think outside the box with what they could do with it. And so I, when I think about singing and singers, I think so many people have wonderful voices, but a voice alone is not all it takes to have a career. And a talent is, is a start. But I remember many times Bruce saying how much he'd rather teach somebody who was struggling to learn how to sing uh, rather than somebody who came with all the tools put together because that person takes or tends to take his talent for granted since it's been a part of him for a long time. But the guy who has to discover his talent and discover his spirit and his energy for performance is the guy who is working towards something. And that's, that's the difference than just to get up and display what you can do uh, and then to get up and after having worked for it share it and this it's just something different and that's part of the payoff for teachers i think is oh. to when you go in every day and think what will i say to this student today to spark that fire and then when it happens oh, yeah. there's no better feeling in the world none but no. but you have had some students that have had amazing successes and amazing careers i know you mentioned donnie ray of course but there have been others could you talk just a moment well, about some of those fact, that you're so proud of well i'm proud of a lot of them donnie was not my direct student although right. he was in my classes um pedagogy and so on but you know when I think of my most successful students, I don't only think of the ones who have had successful singing careers. There are those. Um, Laura Claycomb comes to mind, and you know John Holiday, most recent, and Beth Clayton, and a lot of them have wonderful careers uh, as singers, but they also have wonderful careers in other areas. I spoke not, uh, most recently with um, colleagues about a student who came to me, Joey Sala, from Oklahoma. And Joey is Lebanese-American, and um, his uh, energies at the time, uh, he was a student, um, 
were in some ways, I think, stifled by um, the cultural and social environment of the time and political environment. Um, but he was a wonderful singer who was a little bit lazy, and I told him that, and, uh, and I told him how it would, what it would take to struggle. And uh, I think he respected my comments, um, and I encouraged him to study abroad. And so he went to France in his junior year, and it changed his life. He moved to France after graduating from SMU, and he lives in Paris and has lived there since, I don't know, 20 years plus. And, but now Joey... Uh, what happened is he explored his interest in painting and in art, which I encouraged, and he explored his interest in business and related um, areas where he could display his art. So you wouldn't imagine a singer becoming now uh, a director of advertising for companies like Dior and Yves Saint Laurent. And he is over a huge branch of um, cosmetics and beauty products. And his domain is Europe and America, North America, and somewhere else. But I mean, can you imagine? I'm thrilled with that. But of course, there's nothing like sitting in La Scala and hearing your girl on the stage and thinking, that's my baby. That's you right. know, I just, <laughs> I can't get past that feeling. It's amazing. You know, oh my gosh. It, it's just, I, I get goosebumps now recalling hearing Lara sing um, the principal role in the Capulets and the Montagues, the Bellini opera. In, in La Scala, and um, uh, well, you know, she's just a wonderful artist, but more than that, she's a wonderful person, and she's giving back, and that's another thing I try very hard to tell all my students, how much we've been given, how much we are obligated to share, and help someone else along the way. And I must say, Lara has done that. She does it every day with her website. She's mentored young singers, helped and paid their way. Um, I sent two girls to stay with her and shadow her two summers in a row uh, so that they could just learn the business. And she didn't have to do that, of course. And she paid for them to come and be with her. This, this is something I try to impart in all of my students. I try to do that through the Foot Foundation, which you, you know about. I um, started this foundation uh, in honor and commemorating the work that Bruce Foote did all of his life. He mentored me. He helped me. He encouraged me. I can hear him saying, what do you mean you're a teacher? Of course you're a teacher, but that doesn't mean you can't sing or that you shouldn't sing. And it was only after he told me I could and should that I believed it. Somebody had to say that to me, unfortunately. Uh, but they, they didn't have to repeat it, thank you very much. I picked it up. <laughs> and I've had a fabulous time singing myself, you know, and teaching at the same time. But it really never seriously started my singing career until I was almost 35. My baby was being born. I was chairing the voice department. You know, there were no computers. <laughs> 
I had at one time over 30 private students. This is two over two teaching loads at the same time of chairing, at the same time of starting a new pedagogy program, at the same time of being pregnant and taking no maternity leave. That was sort of unheard of. Um, you just kept going till you dropped in my day. I guess that's why I haven't dropped yet. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> we've, we've talked, Barbara, we've talked about your students, and there's so many more we could name, and the oh, wonderful performances gosh. we've heard. I've sat in the Dallas Opera and heard one of your students on stage, and I'm proud of that even, yeah. if that's okay they're to just, say. No, but, they're but, fabulous. But what about, what about your memorable performances? And I know oh, you've had gosh. some. What comes to mind if I say, tell me about a time you were on stage? Oh, my gosh. I think maybe it was Berlin, one of my most favorite yeah. cities in the world. And I was there just before the wall came down doing Dry Groschenopera. And it was my first German opera, full opera experience. And really, I, I don't know why I was presumptuous enough to think I could do it. I had never studied German, ever. Okay. Really? Really. What year was that then? <laughs> 89, 89, I think. Yeah. And oh my God, you know, it just happened. I had gone there to do Porgy and Bess to cover um, Wilhelmina Fernandez because she sprained her ankle. And they promised me on the way over that I'd have a full orchestra rehearsal when I got there. They jerked that out of the contract, and I just jerked the contract out. Furious and... Uh, but I had gone because it was going to be my first opportunity to sing with Donnie Ray, okay, on the stage in Berlin. So I was just thrilled about that. And then I got there and they said they weren't going to give me an orchestra rehearsal. I said, well, I'm not going to sing. And so they got over themselves. They had to pay me because I had left my classes to come. And I stayed those two weeks, had a ball, sang for another stage director. And he said, well, would you be my Spelunken, Jenny? I said, oh, sure, you know, thinking what is this? And then I, you know, did my homework while I was there. And they hired me at the last minute. After all of that, I had two weeks to learn that role. Wow. Okay, and it was with a full Berlin cast, people from that area, speaking with Berliner dialect and so on. And then me. The colored girl looking a little bit like Josephine Baker in a black leather coat and nothing under it. I had the time of my life. <laughs> I had the time of my life. And I got home, and then they called me and said, well, we just have all these sold out. See, we want to extend it another week. Would you come back? I said, oh, no, I have to teach. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Eugene Benelli and people like that said, get a life girl and get on over there. So... So I gave my students double lessons, and two weeks later, I went back and they rescheduled me, and I did it, you know, two more weeks at a time, and it, it just happened again and again like that, till I had done 39 performances. I was just shocked, and then um, the director liked me so much, he asked me if I'd do it in Cologne, and... Um, so the following year, I went back, went back and did it in Cologne. So I've, I've done it in a lot of places because I really did love the role. But 
it was the most frightening thing I ever did because I came onto the stage, which was 100 steps down from the top of the theater, no platform, just steps. And I have a fear of heights, Tin, listen. You know. Oh, my goodness. So, okay. And so the guy said, uh, Günther Kramer said, he was the director, he said, don't worry, Barbara. They will take you, the horse will take you down the steps. And so you just go with them and hold on to them, and pretty soon you'll get over it. I never got over it. <laughs> Every entrance, I would say, Hail Mary at the top of the steps. Yes. You know? And then all the way through, I would think, okay, God, if you want me to die in Berlin, I'm <laughs> I'm over it, you know? <laughs> so I would just go down the steps, you know, thinking, okay, if it's my time, it's my time. And then, meine Herren, heute sehen Sie. And singing the whole, world, whole role one octave lower. I should tell you that. He said, no, you sound... Uh, too proper and it's she's a whore and she's uh, the head madam and sultry blah 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 and we need to, to get a little more uh, relaxed and so instead of minor he wanted minor <laughs> so I just went right on to it I was young and you know I believed I could do anything so there you go Fabulous Hence memory. the reason I stayed at SMU forever, you know. I believed I could endure anything. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, I've, I just, I had wonderful experiences with my own singing, um, but one of those was also a fabulous time with Donnie Ray. We sang Porgy and Bess in the Florentine Opera. And that's a wonderful memory yes. uh, to sing with uh, somebody who is a former student and a dear friend. It's it's just special. It is. I, I've worked, you know, not only in my singing, but in my life with fabulous people. I had wonderful deans. You know, we have a fabulous dean right now in Sam. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you mentioned Jean Benelli earlier. Mean, you just you know, Jean was Jean was instrumental in my hiring. It was he? Oh yes. Well, he hired he was me in music. I, he was dean when I came in 1992, he? and he has such a special place in my heart as well. But what all the all the deans that you've worked for? Can Maybe. you just take a minute and just? Oh my reflect? God! Starting with Kermit Hunter. Yes. I think Kermit Hunter was not quite ready for me, um, but maybe none of them, <laughs> none of the deeds have been quite ready for me. <laughs> but, you know, I went through about 11 deans, if you count the associates. Oh, my goodness. And maybe yeah. 20 chairs, if you count the people who, um, interim deans and right. interim chairs. And I suspect, you know, my experience with Jean was probably the most invigorating. Um, and maybe with Carol Brandt, maybe the most endearing in a different way. Um, and I it, having a, a, your dean be a real colleague who sort of came up through the ranks as Sam has is also something very special. He is a fine person who I believe endeavors every day to do the best thing for all of us. And I, I haven't always felt that during my time here. In fact, during my time here, 
you know, I came into SMU at a time when people moved from one side of the faculty uh, meeting to the other when I walked in and didn't sit next to me. So I just followed them from one seat to the other till they got the hint that I wasn't just going to be isolated. Um, and frequently, you know, they would have conversations in meetings where I was asked to be and turn their backs and whisper to each other and then I have to ask again what is said, or avoid me, or pretend they didn't hear me say hello on the quad, or you know, things like that. But I think the most unfortunate memory I have of that sort of sequence was the administrative assistant uh, just openly in faculty meetings and in the hallways referring to me and my students as negresses. And so, you know, when you can endure that kind of thing and continue on, it means your priorities are, are way past people's impressions and personal opinions of you. In fact, like everybody, you know, I wanted to be liked, but I didn't care if people didn't like me here. I wanted my students to appreciate what I brought, the difference. Um, and I endeavor every day for them to appreciate that. I work very hard for them to know we are not each here in a vacuum. We owe something to those coming behind us and that we have to be respectful and tolerant and mindful of our differences and do something when you wake up in the morning, think about something you can do for someone other than yourself. You just can't go through life thinking only about your singing and your voice and your money and your life and your family and you. And this is why you are such a fabulous educator, because you teach people things other than how to sing. And that's what a lot of people don't get, no matter if, I don't care if you're teaching uh, BC calculus. Well, you have to. You, well, no. Yeah. Well, I can't count to four, or, or barely can. That's why I wave my arms till the music stops. But the point is, you teach other things, and that's important. And just to your other comments, what I can say is, and this is the way I've always tried to live my life too. You can't control what someone says. You can only control your reaction and how you respond. And by the way. You're still here. Hello. You're still teaching. <laughs> oh God. You're still you're still respected every day on that campus. Oh, well. And that is the final chapter of that terrible, horrible time in all of our lives when those sorts of things were happening. Yeah. Well they still do, but that's okay. Yes, the they kids do. come in every year fresh, talented, excited, exciting, and you just you can't resist it. If I thought I'd miss in August, I don't know what I'd do. Probably die. Yes. <laughs> That'd be the reason I'd miss it. Well, you know, you touched on Bruce Foote and how much he influenced you. And, of course, now you are the founder of the Bruce Foote Scholarship Foundation, of which I've been so privileged to serve on your board. Ooh, that's um, you. Well, you're very kind. But I the point is, you. you've done so much more than just uh, the foot. Um, you know, think about... Uh, well, the SMU in South Africa program and the wonderful well, students you've brought. You know, we owe that to the gifts 
of the Schollmeyer Foundation, and that is a dear and incredibly uh, close uh, friend whom I love. Um, I met him through his family who came to my concerts in Germany, and we've been friends for the last 25 years. He has supported every student I brought from South Africa. He's paid their living and paid their housing and he's helped with their visa permits and everything and moreover he has helped us to make trips there we went uh, in 2004, I took Porgy and Bess there, and just with my uh, my own studio and one singer outside, we went to South Africa, 22 students and faculty and conductor and so on, and we did Porgy and Bess there with the Cape Town Opera and the Cape Town Orchestra, and we did it in four universities in South Africa. And since then, we've taken Waiting Home there, another opera about the Katrina catastrophe, and we've taken just a number of things there. That program in South Africa has been an eye-opener not only for me and for my personal students, but for students throughout the Meadows School and throughout SMU. It's a fabulous thing thanks to the Schollmeyer Foundation and the yes. Bruce Foote Foundation. And we just are very fortunate to be able to help young people. And, and I'm fortunate to know you in that way too, um, not just as my colleague in music, but as my friend, hard worker, you know, encourager. We have know, to support one elbow another. Elbow buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? We're just continuing to pay it forward, and that's what we have to do. Barbara, this has been an amazing conversation. I really want to ask you one final question, and it's yes. the hardest one. Oops. You have had so many accomplishments over your career and your time at SMU and in Meadows. What are you most proud of that you've done for Southern Methodist University and the Meadows School of the Arts specifically? Well, you know, one of the first things I was asked to do was to serve on the president's Commission on the Status of Women at SMU. And Bonnie Wheeler and I sort of co-chaired and worked together for five years on that committee. And I know that my persistence changed the salaries of the women in Meadows. We were behind everybody in the whole university. And I just, once I found that out and read those salaries, I was just horrified. And I went right straight to the provost and the president's office and told them so. And I think they were just so shocked that I, I just dared to call a meeting with them in their busy lives that they actually listened to me and to Bonnie, and we made a difference in our colleagues' salaries and, and, and the way they were viewed and treated. And to me, just having the feeling that people are treated better by anything I have to say or do is an, an amazingly rewarding experience. And, and those, it's doing things for my environment, my community, that make me feel useful political awareness and the rights of all those people around me. Um, that was just very important. So my service on the Ethics and Tenure Committee over 10 years and chairing that committee three or four times 
that was very important to me, my service on the Senate. Um, I, those things are important to me, uh, in addition to what I've been able to help my students accomplish. So when I can help my colleagues too, I, I feel like um, I'm doing a part of what God put me here to do. I am privileged and honored to know you. Um, Will you please continue to pay it forward to everyone you meet? I hope so, Tinsley. I know you will. Thank you. It's been just great talking to you. It has. Thank you.